Welcome to Kibi on Liberty. Justin, how's it going? Good, good. Great to be here. Really happy to be here. Yeah, I want to thank uh, my buddy Taylor Millard and Hannah Cox for introducing me to White Coast Waste Project. Um, and we're meeting for the first time. But yeah. uh, I have to tell you that my extremely libertarian cat, whose name is Rourke, was listening to something you did this morning where he discovered that the government finances torturous experiments on cats. So he's gone from a classical liberal animal to an anarcho capitalist <laughs> You should sign up for our mailing list. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> um, so, and and we'll talk we'll talk about why cats are good and dogs are bad later. But uh, <laughs> totally divide your membership and and, and destroy That's your right. organization. But uh, <laughs> why not give us a quick overview of what White Coast White? I know everybody stumbles on it. White knows. Coast Waste Project is. Cool. My uh, pro tip on the name is you can just say white coat. I won't be offended. Okay. And it might save you the tongue twister bit of it. Actually, our year-end video has a clip of Kim Iverson on the Hill saying the name and commenting on how complicated it was. So yeah, yeah. we lean into it. <laughs> um, so I, uh, I've been doing this for a long time. I've been involved in animal issues since the 1990s. Uh, we could talk about my professional background a little more. But um, back in probably 2015, I was working at PETA at the time running their animal testing campaigns, and I met a guy named Anthony Bellotti, who started coming around years before that, around kind of the periphery of the animal rights movement, trying to learn about what everyone was up to. Um, it turns out Anthony, now a very close friend of mine and my boss, president and founder of White Coat, he had worked in an animal lab um, in the 90s. He thought he wanted to go to, law, to medical school, and his dad helped him get an internship at a hospital in New York City. And it turned out his internship was in an animal laboratory where they were doing cardiac experiments on pigs and other animals. And he was horrified. He just thought, I can't believe this is happening, number one. I don't want to be personally involved in it. Uh, and number three, I can't believe we're being forced to pay for it. It was a taxpayer-funded lab. Uh, he was totally turned off to science and medicine, as actually many people are, if that is their first kind of foray into science and medicine, if it involves animals, for women especially, if they're forced to dissect animals when they're young, for example, they might forego a career in science and medicine because they think it's all going to be like this and it's traumatic and they're more attuned to that stuff. Um, so his experience wasn't unlike others who get involved in animal experimentation, say this isn't my cup of tea. Um, he ended up going into politics and thinking, I'm going to put together a toolkit where I can come back and fight this problem. I don't know how exactly that I'm going to do that, but I'm going to go and see what the world has to offer. And he went to work in Republican politics, uh, worked on issue campaigns like defund Planned Parenthood, hands off my health care, anti-Obamacare campaigns, and then issue campaigns for kind of some more moderate uh, candidates like Lisa Murkowski, Ar uh, Arnold Schwarzenegger in California. Um, beefed up his resume and then in like 2013, in earnest, started White Coat and said, I'm going to have a go at this, start an organization that uses the tools, the defund tools that the pro-life movement is using uh, and other movements have used successfully to attack this problem because it's ultimately a government spending problem. So he got started to get White Coat off the ground, uh, built some name ID, worked with Glenn Beck's The Blaze on the first documentary on this issue um, that Glenn Executive produced. Congressman Tom Marino was in it, Anthony, our founder. It was kind of White Coats coming out, as it were. It was a special on The Blaze. Uh, and then soon after that got our first injection of funding, and I was the first hire. Nice. So um, I'm fascinated by, by learning from from various grassroots movements, and you guys have um, very successfully used media and social media and grassroots organizing tactics, and we'll, and we'll get into that. But, um, you know, I, I probably didn't realize until I was really digging in to some of the controversies around um, COVID and Wuhan and gain of function, how centralized science and scientific research has become. And I, I knew that the government spent spent a lot of money, but when you when you start to sort of peel away the onion, you realize that um, the government completely dominates scientific research, and it's either their money or it's the the imprimatur of um, you know Saint Fauci endorses this. Um, 
and and that is is quite relevant to what what you guys are trying to do because so many of these these animal torture stories um, strike me as um, first of all mad science, but but second of all like well the money was there so we went ahead and did it, and I think I think there there could be more more discipline and accountability. If there, and this is my libertarian coming out, there should be a sep- separation of, of science and, and the government because politics and lack of accountability corrupts everything. But it absolutely, you guys have demonstrated just the horror stories of, of what the government has been financing and the way they've gotten around the rules or broken the rules, all these things. Um, so you guys were um, really the organization that was. Um, doing FOIAs to to discover where the, where government money was actually going, and and I guess starting in 2013 is what you said. So White Coat started in 2013. Our campaigns, the official kind, of the organization, the campaign arm of things, the policy arm of things, started in 2016, September of 2016. Actually, when I started. Okay. So about six years, we've been doing full time policy work, campaigning, lobbying, grassroots, all of that. Um, actually, our first, our very first investigation, which was called Spending to Death, which looked at dog experimentation happening in the government's own labs, so at agencies like NIH, FDA, VA. That was our first big investigation that came out right after Trump got elected in November of, 20, of 2016. And to be honest, we didn't know how the next four years were going to go. I mean, it was such a tumultuous time. Sure. We were really just getting started up. I remember Anthony telling me at the time, like, I don't know if I have more than six months of salary to pay you. So we were just getting started. We were green. And it was a tumultuous time in this country, as most people can remember, regardless of what side of the political aisle you were on, there was a bit of craziness happening. And it lasted for a little while, <laughs> four years. Um, and I don't think it stopped, by the yeah, way. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I think we're still seeing it literally today as we sit here and yeah. what's going on at Capitol Hill. Yeah. So that still exists. So we didn't know what was going to happen. Um, but it turned out there were a lot of leaders that came in to the Trump administration who were particularly interested in addressing this problem, Andrew Wheeler at the EPA being one of them, someone who had a bad rap, certainly, with people on the center and left for his uh, ties to the energy industry. Um, but it turns out he actually was working since the 80s to stop animal testing. He was writing op-eds when he was a student at Case Western about how animal testing was wasteful and we needed to move away from it. And now all of a sudden you have someone who's in a position where they can actually make their dream yeah. come true. Yeah. Uh, and he did that. I mean, he was the first agency chief ever to say, we have a hard stop of 2035 for animal testing. We're going to spend the time in the meantime figuring out other ways we can do what we need to do, but we're going to stop this. Um, and I think only in a kind of atmosphere that existed during the Trump administration could something like that happen. Yeah. I, I didn't know that about, about Andrew, but um, that's it's, it's, it's a little bit of a Nixon goes to China thing. And I'm, I'm going to draw caricatures of the right and the left because you, you come from PETA, which I think would fairly be viewed as, as a left of center organization. And and maybe there was a time, you know, going back to Newt Gingrich when, when Republicans were just pro-science, right? Whatever, whatever that meant. Yeah. And I think, um, you know, go back going back to the sort of supercharging of N, NIAID was done by Dick Cheney and Republicans wanting to develop a, a bioterrorism strategy. So it's it's interesting that um, we've come full circle where, um, I guess because of COVID, and you've talked about this, like this, this whole thing has become um, politicized again, but the, but the coalition has shifted so that yet now you have um, more Republicans skeptical of the science industrial complex and, and frankly, too many people on the left who sort of take it at face value that whatever the science says, it must be the right thing to do. And, and ne- both of those are caricatures of where we're at, but, but I look at it just from um, the natural tendency of, of power and lack of accountability to corrupt everything. It, yeah. do- it, it doesn't mean that science is particularly guilty of this, but it, it, it has, in fact, corrupted it. Um, and and I want to I want to I want to go straight to, to Wuhan and 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 set this up for me um, because I it, I understand from what I've read that one of the reasons why um, Fauci and EcoHealth and NIH were funding experiments in China was because they they weren't subject to the same sort of oversight 
and regulation. Is that is that true? That's absolutely true. We're actually suing the NIH right now for what we call the Foreign Animal Lab loophole, which is essentially, so the NIH gives uh, tax dollars or authorizes the use of tax dollars at about 1,500-ish labs around the world, animal labs around the world. Uh, over 300 of those are in foreign countries. Uh, th about three dozen of them right now are in China and Russia. But China, Russia, any foreign country outside of the U.S., basically the oversight rules that apply in the United States that every lab, college, university, private lab, if they take tax money, they have to follow, which include having a committee that reviews projects, uh, says whether they're too dangerous to do, like Wuhan, mm -hmm. too cruel, duplicative, whether there's alternatives available, make sure biosafety rules are followed, all of that. There's committees that legally mandate in the United States. You take tax money, you have to have them, they have to review and approve projects. You don't have to do any of that outside of this country. So we, have, we discovered in 2019 that the U.S. was sending tax, millions of tax dollars each year to labs in China, in Russia, all over the world, countries that definitely don't need our money, like Canada, like in the U.K., uh, Denmark, Norway. So socialist countries that are dumping plenty of money into science definitely don't need U.S. tax dollars. Their animal labs are getting money, and they don't have to play by the rules. So there's absolutely an incentive. We've incentivized, actually, offshoring. Uh, and outsourcing some of these dangerous and cruel experiments because it's easier to do them. Yeah. Um, I think Fauci probably would have found a way to do them in the United States. I mean, look, we three years into the pandemic, we found out that he was funding Boston University yeah. to supercharge Omicron to make it from zero lethality to 80%. <laughs> and no one seemed to raise a red flag about that or care very much until it became a media story. And, and that was an eco-health project, right? I believe Boston was. Boston was not an eco-health project. Okay. Um, there's lots of other. Eco-health has gotten over $20 million of new taxpayer-funded grants just since the pandemic began from NIH, DOD, USAID. So they're sitting pretty. They're fine. They have, have faced no, virtually no accountability at all for what happened in Wuhan and what role they might have played there. Um, I think that's going to change now with Republicans running the House. I think there will be hearings. There will be subpoenas. They're going to have to answer some hard questions. But the damage is done. China has a three-year head start on covering up the how the pandemic started. We'll yeah. probably never know at this point. Yeah. Um, and there's people who don't want us to know, like Anthony Fauci, like Peter Dash at EcoHealth. And I think like uh, Fauci's deputy, who is now just uh, installed as his successor, at least temporarily, who was involved in covering up the lab leak since February of 2020. Yeah. Well, we we haven't seen um, at the at the moment of this recording, we haven't seen the so-called Fauci files. Um, maybe in a couple of days. Maybe maybe we'll we'll find out more. But the the irony of this, by the way, going back to the 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 biosecurity origins of this of this of this radical ramping up of government investment in science, is that we're doing this really dangerous research in countries who presumably would be. <laughs> The threat to American biosecurity. Riddle me that. Like, why? Why? D explain to me why we're we're developing these super viruses in China of all places. So Anthony Fauci would say it's because the viruses are over there and it's easier to study them over there. Um, but then you have a situation like where you're doing it in Boston. So obviously that's not the reason why. So what is the reason why? I think it's a lack of accountability. I think there's a genuine uh, naivete on the part of a lot of these scientists, where they genuinely feel like these are our friends in China in this lab that's run by the Chinese Communist Party. Uh, these are our friends. We've worked with them for a long time, and they would never do anything to put us at risk. Yeah. Uh, Anthony Fauci cares about himself and his legacy more than anything. Uh, he's. Sh I mean, this was a, this. I mean, to put it into historical context, I don't care about Anthony Fauci posi Fauci's position on anything else except animal testing. I'm, you know, whatever your feelings are about masks or social distancing or closing the country or whatever, that's not my personal issue. I don't, um, that's not what I'm interested in. That's not White Coat's, what's, what White Coat is interested in. However, what I am interested in is his relationship to animal testing. And since the early 1980s, when he was personally taking chimpanzees and infecting them with HIV, I mean, that's been his, you know, that's a signature move is taking infectious diseases and putting them into animals, including chimps, which I find the most disgusting abhorrent thing you could possibly do is take the animal's closest relative, close, human's closest relatives, lock them in prisons that are worse than the worst punishment you give a human being, infect them with diseases, torture and kill them. Uh, and he was personally doing that, defended it for years. The National Academy of Sciences had to come in and tell him to stop and say it was unnecessary. Um, so this is just par for the course. Yeah. 
in this guy's career. Thank you for joining me today on Kibbe on Liberty and for being part of our fiercely independent audience. Every week, my organization, Free the People, partners with Blaze TV to bring you this show. My guests bring smart perspectives on everything from current events to timeless philosophical debates. If you like what you hear, go to freethepeople.org KOL and support Kibbe on Liberty so we can continue to produce these honest conversations with interesting people. Now, let's get back to it. I wonder, like I've read some of his um, academic writings and I've talked about him on the show, like he's got this, this wildly ambitious view of not only himself, but the science and, and I, I would call it scientific, where I think, I think the, the ethics of doing something or not doing something are completely irrelevant to how he thinks about it because he thinks that um, science can solve everything. Yeah. And I, I think that's how we got in all this trouble in the first place. Yeah. So you guys were, um, when did you start investigating Wuhan? How did you stumble across this thing that opened up the whole thing? So 2019, we're looking at foreign labs. We have this list we put together of over 300 labs in foreign countries. Uh, we're going through it and we're trying to connect the dots. To your point that you made a few minutes ago, there's a stunning lack of transparency and accountability about how tax dollars are being spent in animal labs, both in the US and abroad, but certainly abroad. So we're kind of triangulating whatever publicly information public information is available. So that means going into NIH databases, looking up grants, and then trying to take those grant numbers and using Google Scholar and other databases to then find papers that cited those grant numbers as the funding source. Then you read the papers, trying to figure out what they did. Sometimes through FOIA, we'll request more information and put the pieces together. So we were doing this for labs across the country. The first one we exposed was how a lab in the UK was addicting fish to nicotine with tax, U.S. taxpayer dollars. And actually that made it into one of Rand Paul's Festivus Waste Reports. Yeah, I was going to say this sounds like a Festivus Report. <laughs> so I think that ended up in the 20th. You, you guys must be a huge source for Festivus we were, grievances. Yeah, we, we're very proud and honored that they pay attention to what we're doing, and some of it makes it in the report. A few of our items were in this year's, including injecting beagles with cocaine and... Um, getting mice drunk in the dark in a lab in Chile. So those were in this year's Festivus report. So 2019, we're looking at all these foreign labs. We we start looking at what was happening in the UK. Rand Paul picked it up, and we thought, okay, let's dig in more. This seems like there's an audience for this and appetite to address the problem. So we see this list of labs in China, and it was at the time it was over 30, and it's right when there were starting to be discussions about what was going on in Wuhan. It was early. I mean, this is late 2019. So I wrote to the White House and I said, listen, there's all these labs in Wuhan. There's all these labs in China, including two, two in Wuhan that are getting NIH money. This probably deserves some investigation to determine what, what's fun, being funded there. So we went with, and met with the White House in early January 2020. Uh, we went, went with Louise Linton, Steve Mnuchin's wife. He was the Secretary of Treasury at the time. She's a big animal person, supporter of White Coat. And the three of us went to meet with a staffer at the White House and said, we gave him the list of laboratories, discussions. Again, there was conversations about Wuhan happening. So we were like, you know, this, this could be a problem. We think this deserves some attention. And there were other issues we talked about, too, with them. We were working on dog testing issues at the VA. We talked about that with them. Human fish, human fetal tissue experiments using animals. Most fetal tissue research is on is using animals, 90% of it. So we talked about that. A few of our other issues, but Wuhan was the topic of discussion. And we leave and follow up, and nothing really ever came of it. And we gave it a few months. And then I started to try to pitch members of Congress and media. For months, I'm going, I'm like, we're sending money to this lab in Wuhan. They're doing coronavirus experiments. Like, this needs to be investigated. And it was like crickets. And then finally, in April of 2020, I talked to a reporter at the Daily Mail. And they had been looking at the issue. And we, we showed them the papers that we were funding experiments that involved going into the lab, the bat caves in southern China, collecting wild bats, swabbing them, taking these wild coronaviruses, taking them back into the, taking them thousands of miles back to the lab in Wuhan in a city where there aren't really wild bats, people don't come in contact with bats, supercharging those viruses, and voila, a pandemic break, a, a pandemic caused by a bat coronavirus that was engineered in a laboratory breaks out. Daily Mail runs with it. It goes viral immediately. Matt Gates was on Tucker a few days later. Matt Gates gets off Tucker. I get a call from his office saying Tr President Trump just saw Matt on Tucker. They want to know he wants to know what he can do to cut this grant off. And a couple of days later, they were having their daily, daily coronavirus briefings at the time. 
Trump goes on TV. This is tremendous waste. We're cutting this grant off. And that's what set the fire yeah. for the one yeah. lab leak media storm that has never stopped is we were getting torn apart by the center left media saying we're conspiracy theorists. People in the center right are finally waking up to it and saying, yes, this does sound credible and we need to investigate. And all of a sudden we had dozens and dozens of members of Congress coming and saying, what do we need to do? Trump cut the grant off and now we've spent the last three years trying to get an investigation into what actually happened there and make sure no money, no more money goes there ever again. And you'd be surprised what a challenge this has been yeah. to just make sure the Wuhan Institute of Virology alone doesn't get any more taxpayer dollars. The laboratory that did these experiments, the laboratory that took its database offline, the laboratory run by the CCP that has refused to cooperate in any investigation, the NIH, as of today, still authorizes them to get more taxpayer dollars. Yeah. Um, so we've been trying creative solutions for the last three years to cut the money off there, at least make some kind of conditional defund that cuts off some of the money. Um, and actually, thanks to your group and ACU and FreedomWorks and some others, we sent a letter last month asking for the omnibus bill, which I know there's a lot of problems with. But one good thing that came out of it is we prevented funding for certain bad things, um, including funding uh, experiments with particularly dangerous pathogens in countries of concern like China. So we are making some progress. But you'd think that the Democrats and Republicans, we could at least get to agree, shouldn't be sending, we shouldn't be sending money to Wuhan. That hasn't been the case. And that, and that success was in the House, and, and we still need Senate, and ultimately the President to act, or is that stuff now law? So the, no, so the, the, um, the language that ended up in the omnibus bill that says... Okay, so it was signed into yeah, law. Yeah, that was signed into law. So there's some definitional issues. It's a little murky what a country of concern is. It's a yeah. little murky what level a pathogen has to rise to to be too dangerous to be doing research with, but it's a starting point that we can build on. Yeah. Um, and we're working on other legislation to do the same thing. And actually in the House when we did this, it did have bipartisan support. Uh, Congresswoman Rosa DeLauro included it in her amendment to the bill. So it did have support from Democrats. I mean, they're not out there che cheerleading about it, um, but I think they see that this is a common sense thing that everyone's going to be happy with, and it's probably in the best interest of everybody. Well, that's the the, the genius of, of how you guys have framed these issues is um, um, Americans love their animals. Like like uh, my my cats are members of my family, and they're they're sometimes members of my production team when we're doing this. And and that I think is um, that's that's powerful grassroots for for people to discover that their taxpayer dollars are going to, to some of these just outrageous things, like nonsensical, but but also just like, um, you know, heart-wrenching and disgusting. Um, yeah. That's that's powerful stuff, and you've, you've been able to organize around that sort of emotional tug. Yeah. Well, the truth is, I mean, this has always been a nonpartisan issue. I mean, the, starting in the 80s, the nature of the groups that kind of were waving the flag like PETA and others, they were obviously more to the left. Um, some significantly more to the left. But if you look at the history of this issue, even in Congress in the United States, I mean, Bob Dole was the guy who created the Animal Welfare Act and actually was prompted by concerns about what was happening in this country regarding stolen dogs and cats ending up in laboratories that they created the first federal bill to govern and regulate the use of animals in experiments. Um, Bob Smith in the 80s, very conservative firebrand from New Hampshire, huge supporter of efforts to end animal experimentation. But so you have some of these key figures in the movement over time coming from the left, from the right. Um, but you have the organizations representing the issues publicly, grassroots wise uh, and advocacy wise and even policy wise on the center and left. So there was a disconnect. There were a lot of people who felt homeless. There were a lot of people who didn't like animal testing, don't want to see dogs tortured, um, but weren't necessarily aligned with the organizations that were working on those issues. So they felt homeless. And it was totally unnecessary because at the root of this issue is nonpartisanship. It is an issue about taxpayer spending. It's an issue about animal welfare. It's an issue about public health. There's really something, the reason everyone should care about this. It's not a left or right issue. Um, but these people had no home. So the brilliance of what Anthony did was say, there is a way we can talk to people on the center right about this issue. It's just reframing this issue from an, a rats have rights yeah. argument to a more of a taxpayer rights argument. Should we be forced to pay some, for something we don't want or we don't need? Yeah. And that just changed the game. And now you have organizations like PETA literally copying us 
copying our talking points, talking about taxpayer waste, talking about oversight in foreign laboratories, um, trying to defund programs instead of taxing them, instead of banning them, instead of doing all the things the movement has done for so long. And the the heartbreaking part about all this is, is that even today, despite the progress we've made over the last six years, despite the fact that there's more people than ever, a growing majority of the public opposes animal testing, there's more ed- evidence that ever it doesn't work very well. Uh, we can talk about the waste part of it. Uh, and there's better technology than ever to replace it. At the same time, there's more money being spent on animal experimentation and more animals in labs than ever before. So there's a disconnect. So when we look at the last 40 years of what the, the kind of uh, mainstream movement has been doing, we've changed a lot of hearts and minds, but it's been a failure in terms of actually addressing the problem. Yeah, I wonder if the story you just told about Fauci, which I had never heard, um, um, going back um, to the AIDS crisis, I wonder if his biases, I mean, I don't want to just blame Fauci because I think it's the system and it's um, the, the system is corrupt and it's not just one guy, but I wonder if his biases influenced a, a surge in government financing of, of animal torture and testing. I think certainly he became a leader in the organization, especially particularly, especially over the last three years where people are looking to him and he's never met an animal test he didn't like. And they actually, his division of the NIH was issuing statements doubling down on animal testing during the COVID crisis because people were questioning. I mean, there were pharmaceutical companies. Moderna in early 2020 said, I don't think we need to put the vaccines into animals to, to show they work in people. Like we can go right into human trials. Why waste a year doing animal tests that aren't gonna give us any useful information? So Moderna was saying that in early 2020. Other people were saying that. And you had someone like Fauci who's running the show saying, no, we want, you know, we need to do this animal. So even the, you know, this is the, this is the problem. One of the problems we've been trying to address is that the private sector has been working to make progress. They don't, if you're a pharmaceutical company, you don't really care how you get the product, product to market as long as it's fast and as cheap as possible. So they're not married to animal testing. The government forces them to do it. And animal testing is a PR nightmare, so they, they might be inclined to avoid it. Shareholder resolutions are always dealing with. Yeah. Bad press. Yeah. It's very slow. It's very inefficient. It's very inaccurate. You know, the NIH, while it spends 47% of its uh, the budget now, it's probably spending over $20 billion on animal testing every year. Half of its budget goes to animal testing. So on one hand, it's doing that, and then admitting on its website that 9 out of 10 drugs that pass animal tests fail in people because they don't work or are dangerous. And constantly lamenting how crappy animal tests are, but keep dumping money into it. So yeah. where's the disconnect? The, it's a spending problem is that there's no one keeping track of what's happening with this money if we're getting anything out of it. And the college and universities that get most of it, they're taking 25 to 30% right off the top for what are called indirect costs, administrative fees. Yeah. So it's a huge slush fund. Yeah. So the college and universities are constantly lobbying against any reforms to animal testing because they want to keep the spigot on. Yeah. So there's really no incentive to innovate or to solve the problem, because the second you solve the problem, your money goes away. It's, it's interesting. It gets to um, the the question of centralization, and and you know we've been picking on the the bureaucracies and bureaucratic incentives, and and all of this this extra money that's sloshing around the system. So nobody wants to fix it because everybody's everybody's at the tap. But um, Congress has been, and this gets into some constitutional issues. Con- con- Congress has ceded their responsibility, their, their, their oversight responsibilities, and, and they've more and more on everything. They've written legislation that is so broad that it gives the, the alphabet agencies you know, kind of a blank check to do whatever they want with it. So like part of it is, and, and this is where you've had success, is getting members of Congress to say, we're, we're doing what? They're doing what? Well, like, and realizing that they're probably responsible too, particularly if they sit on oversight committees, they, they're letting it happen. Um, that there's some power in that. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, that's really the main way we agitate for reform. I mean, you know, we're not working on consumer products issues, so we can't ask people to boycott. I mean, you cannot pay your taxes and take the risks associated with that. But um, that's probably not the most effective way to address this problem, unless everyone does it. Yeah. <laughs> well, now, now you're talking my language. Yeah, exactly. But, yeah. <laughs> Um, but one thing we can do is get Congress to crack down on how the money that they're uh, appropriating to Congress, to these agencies being spent. And if you watch congressional hearings, budget hearings with NIH over the last few decades, particularly since Newt Gingrich was around, 
when he doubled their budget. They very rarely ask critical questions. The NIH comes in there, they roll out the red carpet, they thank them for their great work for protecting human health, talk about what great things they're up to. Yeah. They don't ask about how their half their budget is being flushed down the toilet on stupid nonsense um, or all the other failures they've had or the pandemic they might have caused or yeah. so on and so forth. And as a result, you have agencies and people like Anthony Fauci, they're not used to that's a critical interaction with Congress. So that's why you see, I think you see him flying off the handle when he's talking to Rand Paul. He's like, wait, you don't love me? The, the, love the tone every- is, do you know who I am? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, he's just, he's kind of on the verge of saying that. Yeah. Always. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> um, but you get, I mean, and, and he just lies. Yeah. You know, we've had, and again, this isn't about Fauci. We, to be clear also, like we were criticizing things Fauci was funding back in 2016, 2017, 2018. Um, but he as a guy didn't matter that much. Mm-hmm. He became a, a guy, a figure that people knew much more recently. We don't talk about bureaucrats at the NIH. No one knows who they are. Francis Collins, people maybe know him now. He was the head of the NIH yeah. for a long time. No one knew who he was. No one knew who Fauci was. But having a face to put on this stuff definitely makes it resonate more. And we've been criticized for tapping into that. But it would have been absolute malpractice. For our organization, whose mission is to stop taxpayer-funded animal testing, to not take advantage of a moment where one of the most visible public figures in this country is potentially more responsible for animal testing than anybody else, to go after him and hold him accountable for it. Yeah. And I think as a result, it's really g- wide in the tent on this issue, which is exactly the reason our organization exists. Yeah. Is if you're a Fauci hater, hate him for whatever other reasons, you should also hate him for torturing animals. Yeah. If you've made it this far into the show, it means I must be doing something right. Kibbe on Liberty is just one of the amazing products we created for the people. We tell emotionally compelling stories and produce educational videos for the Liberty Curious. Our award-winning documentaries personalize all things Liberty, independence, creativity, hard work, integrity, and perseverance. After the show, check out our work at freethepeople.org. And if you like what you see, Donate to support what we do. That's freethepeople.org. Now back to the show. It's fascinating. Like, I, I think he's ultimately going to be a victim of his own hubris because um, he succeeded in doing all of this stuff. He and Collins and, and an entire complex of people um, did this um, in darkness. Like, people generally didn't know or didn't care. And you pointed out, like, Newt Gingers had, had a fetish with science funding. Um, and I remember I worked on the Hill at the time trying to convince Republicans that um, just throwing money at science was was going to actually break the scientific process because you, you need competition and you need alternative views that are allowed to compete with each other yeah. and all this stuff that hopefully um, reasonable people can, can understand. Um, and, but the hubris was he wanted to be a rock star. Like he there is there there I don't know if it's still there, but there was a whole page on NIH's website of of Fauci's media hits and all of his awards and, and he gets lots of awards, by the way, from people who are recipients <laughs> of his his largesse. So like if if he had kept his head down, I feel like um, you guys would not have been successful. And this this is leading me up to Beaglegate. And I I watch some of these videos and it's it's even hard for me to even um, watch some of that stuff, but um, they were torturing beagles. And so when did this, so Wuhan was about um, bad experiments and so-called humanized mice, right? Yeah. Um, but they were also doing stuff with, with beagles. And, and, I, and I have to ask, I read this, you, you would know if this is true or not. They use beagles in labs because they love humans so much that they're, they're, they're the most cooperative. Is that true? 100% true. The NIH's own website says that they use beagles particularly because they're small and docile. Yeah. Easy to abuse, easy victims. So disgusting. So tell me about the discovery of, of beagle torture yeah. and government-funded beagle torture. Yeah, so um, the Wuhan lab campaign had been out in the world for over a year. Again, April 2020, we're talking about when that campaign started. And then um, we were digging more into what Fauci was, you know, Fauci's division at the NIH was doing. And again, it's not so much about him as it is about the fact that his division at NIH has one of the largest budgets. He has a $6 billion budget Fauci has at his disposal, or had. Today we're talking. He's gone now. It's been a couple of days. 
but, at least he's gone from Nyad. But but I think the new guys like uh, Mini Fauci or something. Yeah, we so we we saw the the NIH internally had announced the his replacement Hugh Auchincloss as his deputy, who has been since two thousand six. This guy has been on Capitol Hill lobbying for bio la- the construction of more bio labs. Uh, he's on the emails with Fauci in early 2020 about the lab leak and what the hell were we funding in China and can you look into this? And yeah. he's been intimately involved. He's also a, he personally an animal experimenter. So same. new boss, same as yeah. the old boss. Yeah. At least for now, he's interim director, acting director, so I don't know what's going to happen. Um, so we're looking into what they're doing and we discovered this series of experiments involving beagles. The very first one was at the University of Georgia and they were infesting beagles with flies to test uh, an experimental vaccine. So they were infesting. By the way, U.S. Georgia, right? Yes. Yeah. Sorry. Yeah. yeah, Thank you. University of Georgia. There is a University of Georgia in (laughs) the country of Georgia. Athens, Georgia. Yes. Thanks for clarifying. Uh, Although, yeah, again, with the money going overseas, it's good to clarify. Um, So University of Georgia, they were infesting dogs with flies. And they had named, we find out through FOIA, they were naming these dogs like Snoop Dogg. And they named him after all these famous musicians and celebrities. And then they were torturing them and killing them. So that story came out and it kind of went up and down, honestly. I mean, I was, I thought maybe there would be more attention to it because of Fauci's involvement. But it got some coverage. Um, We then released a second investigation that showed with a photo that Fauci's division had sent tax dollars to a lab in Tunisia where they were taking beagles and drugging them to sedate them and then locking them in the, their heads in these mesh cages and filling them with hundreds of fa- sand flies and letting the sand flies bite them alive to see if the flies preferred dogs who'd already been, been infected with this particular virus or they preferred the fresh dogs who are not infected yet. That paper came out too. Uh, we released that investigation. It came out, and it got some coverage. Um, but I was surprised about how little attention it got, actually. Third thing comes out, and we find that Fauci is funding a project that involved debarking beagles to cut their vocal cords so they don't make noise in the lab, and they were testing an experimental drug and typically at a private company. And typically what that involves is shoving a tube down a dog's throat. It called, it's called gavage. You shove a tube down their throat into their stomach and then just force feed them whatever you want to feed them because they're obviously not going to take it voluntarily. Um, and members of Congress, bipartisan, Republicans and Democrats, immediately sent a letter, Nancy Mace led it, to NIH. What the hell are you doing? What is this with this debarking and force feeding these dogs these drugs? The FDA said it doesn't require dog testing. You're doing dog, you're funding dog tests. You're devocalizing these dogs. It's totally unnecessary. And a story came about that uh, came out about that letter, but it also covered the previous two examples, both in Tunisia and the University of Georgia. And I remember I was standing in Lowe's, the home improvement store, with my wife. And I got a notification on my phone that Joe Rogan had retweeted one of the stories about the Beagles. The Beagles. And I was like, okay, here it goes. The ultimate media achievement in 2022. And I was supposed to go on vacation a couple of days later. Yeah. And I spent that whole vacation sitting on the beach on my phone, working on media stuff, get coordinating with members of Congress. It really exploded. That was it. It was that moment in time where it was kind of building. We had a few examples of the Fauci-funded stuff. Then... The debarking happened, but at that time is when that photo, that what I consider a now iconic photo of the beagles with their heads in the cages came out in Tunisia. NIH responds and says, this is fake news. We didn't fund that. But here we have a paper that lists NIH as the funder. So how do you square this? Uh, NIH's database for this grant also included this paper in the list of publications that came out of this NIH-funded project. NIH says we didn't fund it. And of course, center-left media, loving Fauci as they did back then especially, started running defense for them. Dana Milbank in the Washington Post wrote a piece about how this research is so necessary. They're actually really nice to the dogs. Fauci's a great guy. They wouldn't do this if they didn't need to. And they tell me, they promised me they didn't fund this. This was an accident. And we just, we're just thinking this is complete bullshit. Like, I can't believe that your standards are so low right now. Yeah. And you are, you're going to lick his boots that much that you're willing to take at face value their claim they didn't fund this thing, that the paper. The people who did the research say NIH funded it. Anyway, so that, 
that then exploded into a he said, she said between us and NIH and it's fake news. And Washington Post actually ran a headline that said fake Beagle research study. I remember that, yeah. In the Sunday paper, a headline. And the article went on to describe all of the other examples that were 100% indisputable, but they hung it all on this one disputed example. We then learned through the Freedom of Information Act. Subsequently, we get the grant application and it describes exactly what they did in this goddamn paper. It says, we were, we're, you're going to give us money. This is the approved grant application. We're going to give you money, and what you're going to do is take dogs, put their heads in mesh cages, and fill them with sand flies and let them eat them. No one cared about that. When that came, finally, when we got those documents, no one went back and said, oh, let's correct it, or let's run the real story. It's true. And we actually got emails a few weeks ago of the NIH admitting at that time in response to reporters, we actually have no way of confirming what these experimenters are telling us. We'd have to do an audit. It's going to take a long time. And they never did it. Yeah. So that was for me, like, it was very eye-opening. Didn't Fauci himself deny that, that it was happening? If you don't know, don't speculate because... I'm just, I'm not, I won't speculate. I'll, I mean, Nyad definitely denied it. Um, I don't remember if he, he commented for the Washington Post and for BuzzFeed specifically about our stuff, but I don't know that he ever... I, I've seen him uh, sort of mockingly mention it as one of the ridiculous accusations against him. Exactly. And, and maybe he's more clever about, uh, yeah. although he hasn't been clever about denying other things. No, but I, I mean, I think about, you know, he was talking about gain of fun. So rewind... 2020, beginning of the pandemic, April, our stuff comes out about Fauci funding the Wuhan lab. And now we know through FOIA, late January 2020, Fauci and everyone in NIH was already talking about this. Months before we ever came out with this, they were already talking internally about the fact that they funded this lab and this might have happened. And Fauci's closest friends in the virology community were telling him there was, they were thinking there was a greater than 50% chance this came out of a lab. This is all written in his emails that have come out through FOIA. Most recently, we got more emails um, where I, I just lost my train of thought. Oh, so we know this conversation is going on in January 2020. Six months later, June, he's in front of Congress, in front of the Energy and Commerce Committee. Uh, why did Donald Trump cut the grant to the Wuhan lab? Pretty, you know, uncontroversial question, I would think. You can answer it. You can slam Donald Trump. You can say whatever you want. He says, I have no idea why the grant was cut. It's an absolute lie. I mean, he was taught he was worried about it being a lab leak. Yeah. In his emails six months earlier, the whole time they'd been talking about whether this actually happened, yet he under oath says, I have no idea why the grant was cut. Fast forward another year to Rand Paul asking him, Did you fund so talk this is about him being a little sneaky. Did you ever fund gain of function research in China? And he says we never he said something to the effect of we never intentionally funded gain-of-function research in China or something that there was a, a little bit of a uh, cushion for him yeah. to be able to say we didn't intend to – we funded a certain type of research that we didn't intend to turn into gain-of-function, but it did, which is what happened. Um, so, yeah, I mean, he's he's uh, he's willing to bend the truth a little the, bit. The shell game where um, we, we don't really have any control over what these, these overseas labs are doing um, – and this, this gets to the current law in the U.S., like there's a reason why they outsource these more horrific stories of animal torture to places like Tunisia. Um, what, what are, I assume that there are no laws against animal torture in Tunisia. Um, what, what are the limits here versus there generally? Like, so, why, why are they doing this? Well, yeah. Not here. Yeah. So in Tunisia, you're right. Uh, in that country in particular, there's no laws protecting animals in laboratories or regulating their use. Um, in China, there aren't really either. There's some regulations, but they don't really have laws governing what happens in there laboratories. There aren't that many laws protecting people in China. Yeah. yeah. So, yeah, no surprise. Um, and then it's really different from country to country. The EU's laws are better than the U.S. Um, so in, in that regard... You know, you probably couldn't get away with some of the nastier stuff going over there and doing it. Um, in the U.S., the bar is also pretty low. Let's be clear about that. I mean, you can do anything to an animal in the U.S. basically as long as you fill out the right paperwork. Um, and a committee of animal experimenters approves your animal experiment. And research shows that about 99% of all animal experiments that are proposed get approved eventually, whether they have to tweak a couple of things or not. But these committees are made up 
these bodies that oversee animal experimentation, 90% of the members are animal experimenters. They have one member of the public usually, but they vote by majority. So even if this member of the public is like, this is horrible, we shouldn't be doing this, they yeah. always lose. Yeah. And they're also intimidated by the fact that there's these scientists and they're a lay person and they probably don't know as well as these people. And so the bar is pretty low here uh, as well. And there's plenty of nasty stuff happening here too. I mean, what happens in these, you know, Wuhan was terrible. Tunisia was terrible. You're a cat guy. We exposed that uh, as recently as a year ago. NIH was sending money to a lab. Yeah, in Rourke, Russia. Rourke is not here, so let's let's tell people about the uh, oh the Russian, the Russian, the Russian cats cat torture. So the the NIH has sent seven hundred seventy thousand dollars in the last couple of years to the Pavlov Institute of Physiology in Saint Petersburg, Russia, which is run by the Russian Academy of Sciences, which is a part of this the uh, the Kremlin. Uh, and what they're doing is giving these cats uh, spinal cord injuries and then forcing them to walk on treadmills to study their, their movements. Um, and we refunded this as recently as November 2021, and it has been an incredible challenge to get the United States to agree they probably shouldn't send any more money to Russian labs despite what's happening in the Ukraine. Um, so we exposed this. Congresswoman Lisa McLean introduced a bill called the AFAR Act, Accountability and Foreign Animal Research Act, as a result of the campaign that would prevent funding for animal laboratories in countries that are deemed foreign adversaries in terms of the active list of countries that would be affected by that, Russia and China, North Korea, Iran. There's some others on that list, obviously. Um, but NIH is not sending money to those countries. They're sending it to Russia and China. So we're, cut, we're trying to cut off money um, for the laboratory in Russia as well. And the White House, to its credit, came out in June and said we're going to wind down any support for research and scientific collaborations with Russia, but we have not been able to confirm that they actually did that. Um, and if you look at the NIH's list of authorized labs as of today, those Russian labs are still on there. And again, the Wuhan Institute of Virology is still on there. So that's as long as WIV is on there, um, you know, I'm just going to assume that nothing else is being addressed at that agency because that's just the most glaring uh, oversight and slap in the face to anybody who cares about uh, good government or public health or anything or animal welfare for that matter. At Kibbe on Liberty, freedom is a lifestyle 24-7, something you live and breathe and wear every day. If that describes you, you need the very best Liberty swag in the market today, just like this shirt I happen to be wearing. Go to freethepeople.org slash KOL and check out our exciting merch. You too can love liberty and look cool. So th this may get beyond your mission because your, your mission is we, we want to defund government funding of, of animal research. Um, and that's, that's you, you say that's about $20 billion. Yeah, two-thirds of all animal testing in the United States is funded by the federal government. Yeah. So the government, to your, some of the points you made earlier, they're the market maker. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, because I wonder, and, and this entire conversation has been about a lack of accountability, and so we don't even know if we are still funding the Russian government to, to, to uh, cripple cats. Yeah. Um, and there's, there's no transparency, there's no, no accountability, and, and my own sense, um, I mean, it's my libertarian bias on most things, is that it's the collusion of, of business and government that creates these horrific outcomes that are so hard for us to even know about and and I'd rather have a, an open and transparent process um, there may be I don't know and I'm you, you probably have a different view than me but there may be legitimate reasons to um, experiment with animals in for the sake of, of scientific advancement in human health I don't know I don't know enough to say that that's not true um, but I would love to have a transparent, open, and competitive process where people that um, scientists that would that would challenge my assertion would be free to do that without risking getting their their research grants cut off. So, do you guys have an opinion about um, whether or not the the government should should be involved in these broader projects because they're the market driver? I mean, organizationally, our opinion is the government shouldn't be funding any animal, shouldn't be funding any animal exper experimentation at all. Um, and again, just from the waste perspective, if you look at it that way and the poor return on investment, I mean, there's people winning awards from NIH. Michael Bracken, a doctor, an epidemiologist at Yale, actually won an award from the NIH for his research about how most research is wasteful. His estimate is 87.5% of all biomedical research is wasted because it's poorly designed or completely irrelevant. And he singled out animal experimentation as a particularly wasteful 
type of scientific research because it's so often most often fails to translate to human beings just because of fundamental biological differences, just like a drug that might work in me might not work in you. Now take that to a species level for animals who we, you know, uh, descended, um, diverged from 100 million years ago. Nothing, you're not going to put a drug into them that's going to act anything like it is going to happen in a human being. So from a waste perspective and return on investment for taxpayers, it's a bad, it's a, it's a bad investment. So you would probably also argue from a, from a, human health perspective, it's a bad investment because that money is diverted to other forms of, of research that are going to get a better result. Yeah, it's, abs- it's absolutely uh, hamstringing scientific progress. Um, and you have people out there, I mean, lots of scientists out there saying it. Um, the problem is, is that they're still in the minority. And a lot of it is just cultural. A lot of it is if you come out and say something like that, your papers might not get published. You not be, might not be welcome at conferences anymore. The NIH might not give you any more money. Yeah, I mean, I know people that's happened to. They've gotten completely ostracized and had to find new careers because they dared speak out about this $20 billion industry that's wasting money and torturing animals and hurting public health. Um, and the, unfortunately, they're, they're in such a minority that that's... Uh, it's that's the same. I mean, it's exactly the same dynamic as as um, scientists that question the COVID narrative. Um, Jay Bhattacharya has yeah. been on the show and uh, uh, John Ioannidis has been on the show and and they've both been like um, horribly demonized. And we now know that it was, the demonization was actually orchestrated by Fauci and Collins and, and maybe this new guy that's taken over yeah. as well. So that's, um, yeah, the incentives are wrong. And, it's, and that's, that's anti-science. That's yeah. the bottom line is anti-science um, and if you're you're hamstringing the process of 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 honest scientists arguing with each other about the best way to use scarce resources in hopefully an ethical way, um, you're you're not helping people by yeah. definition. Yeah, and we have so many examples from recent history. Um, you know, you don't have to take White Coat's word for it. You know, like we have. I'll give you three examples. Um, there was a practice that was longstanding where the NIH would fund people who did experiments on cats and dogs to get those cats and dogs for what are these these random source breeders, or these random source dealers. Basically, people who go around and steal pets from people's yards, get them at like flea markets or free to good home ads, and then sell them to laboratories for taxpayer-funded experiments. Um, NIH insisted that this was absolutely necessary for science to do this, that you needed that genetic diversity not from just these breeding colonies, but from animals. So Congress asked the National Academy of Sciences, which is supposed to be independent, step in and tell us, is this scientifically necessary or not? No, it's not. Fast forward a couple years, chimpanzee experimentation is under the microscope, thank God. The US was the last country still spending tax dollars to experiment on chimpanzees, even though every other country in the world had stopped and deemed it unnecessary and unethical. Fauci, in particular, and others insisting, absolutely necessary, people are gonna die if we don't do this. Kick it to the National Academies. Most chimpanzee research is unnecessary, we shouldn't be funding it. Okay, it took a couple years, but NIH eventually integrated that and stopped funding experimentation on chimps. A Couple years later, VA, we have this big campaign against the VA against dog testing. They were injecting uh, puppies' arteries with latex to give them heart attacks, forcing them to run on treadmills to stress their hearts. Uh, they were breeding narcoleptic Dobermans to have the sleep disorder and then injecting them with methamphetamines, all kinds of nonsense. VA, veterans are going to die if we don't do this. National Academies, most VA dog research is unnecessary, and they're not doing a very good job of determining whether or not they need to use dogs or not and actually looking for other ways to do things. So every single time that you've gotten an independent authority to come in and look at a problem at the NIH or one of these agencies that fund animal testing, They've agreed with us. They haven't agreed with the NIH. Yeah. Talk about um, how you guys um, run your campaigns and and how people watching this could get involved. Yeah. So we use a model called, uh, we call it FED since we work on federal policy, find, expose, defund. So we have a staff of over 20 people. I have a policy and research staff, and we're just scouring databases using FOIA, um, lawsuits when we need to on FOIA, working with members of Congress using the Congressional Research Service and other uh, government entities that are able to get information quickly for us. Um, and we're trying to find where there's waste and abuse happening in the government 
and where the low-hanging fruit is, where we actually think we can make, a, make an impact and parlay that into more progress. So in 2016, when we launched our campaigns with that report called Spending to Death, we were looking at dog testing inside federal agencies. And we picked on the VA, we picked the VA in particular, uh, number one, because the VA had been notorious and still is for not being able to manage its house very well. Homeless veterans, uh, sick and dying veterans in its hospitals. At the time, this was a big issue. Back in 2016, 2017, Congress investigating waste and abuse at the VA. And this was totally consistent with everything else that was going on there. Um, Just a stunning lack of oversight and accountability at the VA and people dying and animals dying. VA was also doing the most painful experimentation happening in the government on dogs. These column E experiments, maximum pain. That means they inflict pain, but they don't treat it intentionally. So we picked on the VA because it was the most painful, and it seemed like there was enough animus already directed at the VA that we could tap into that and get this thing over the finish line. And we were absolutely right. Fast forward to this past year, we announced that the VA had ended its last dog tests. so sometimes the moment trumps the message in the case like that, right? We're at, you're like, like Fauci, like we'd been going after Fauci dog testing for a long time. We were going after Fauci directly for dog testing, but then the universe, the, just the stars align and something explodes. So we do the research. The find part is us uncovering waste and abuse, exposes investigations with Congress and with the media. We'll take, you know, we break stuff with, um, we used to do, I mean, it was pretty, Back in the day, Washington Post was breaking our stuff. New York Times was breaking our stuff. And now we're persona non grata with a lot of them. You're, you're, touch you're shadow stuff. banned, yeah. Yeah, they won't yeah. touch our stuff with a 10-foot pole. They only run hit pieces about us now because we dare take on Fauci. So we break the stuff in the in the media, and then we work with members of Congress to find policy solutions. So we have, I'm one of our lobbyists, and we're on Capitol Hill working on the appropriations bills to make sure money isn't funding certain things. So in this year's appropriations bill, we cut funding for those dangerous virus experiments in countries of concern. Um, we defunded what's called live tissue training that the, v- the FBI was doing, where they take live animals, stab, shoot, and blow them up, and then try to train people to teach emergency procedures, even though the government's own studies show that there's better ways to do that using human simulators. So technology has solved that problem for us. We don't need to be blowing up pigs. Defunded that. Uh, defunded dog and cat experimentation at the VA. Um, so we, you know, we, we drum up concern and interest and enthusiasm for these campaigns and then we propose a common sense solution that we actually think we can get through congress we're not one of these groups that's sitting here with the same problem for 20 years not trying to solve it because we're fundraising on it and we want to run ads about it i mean we are very solution oriented i wouldn't be at a group that wasn't we are actually trying to solve the problem we're making great progress not only in our mission of widening the tent and bringing in new blood to the movement and growing it which i think That's why other groups are copying us now, because it's been so effective. If you look, and you know this better than anyone, if you look at any big social issue, that's one. One side can't win it. It's got to be something where you're in the middle and you can cleave off a little bit of one of the, you know, so gay marriage or drug reform or criminal justice reform or any of those things. You need folks from the other side who are going to come along on the journey with you. And we're proud that we've been able to do that. I mean, we work with the squad. We work with the Freedom Caucus and everyone in between, all unified towards the same goal. And that's why we're getting more done than anyone else's. Cool, yeah, as a, as a libertarian, I, I very much appreciate um, finding friends because we're just a little slice of, of the world, um, unfortunately. Um, so how do people find you and White Coast Waste Project? And if people want to send you guys a check, I assume that's okay? Yeah, we accept checks, probably other payment methods as well. Um, definitely on our website, you can sign up uh, for our mailing list and donate. Um, but if you go to at White Coat Waste on any social media platform, we're on all of them, including TikTok, uh, and you can follow our campaigns there. We're very active on Twitter. We'll talk about a lot of policy stuff on Twitter, um, TikTok, YouTube. See, we just put our gear in video, so we're on YouTube. YouTube you can see that there. Um, and we have about 3 million members and supporters across this country and actually outside of the country, around the world, who are doers and donors. These are people who are doing our tweet storms, so sometimes we'll send out a tweet saying, tweet this at the head of the NIH asking them to defund foreign labs. Um, so we do tweet storms, we do call-in days. We have lots of creative ways people get involved with whatever, whatever their interest is and whatever their ability is. So certainly doing and certainly donating are things we encourage. Cool. Well, as you know, Free the People is on board in any way we can help. And uh, I'm glad we finally got to do this. Yeah, and we're so grateful for your support. It's great to be here. Yeah, thank you. Thanks. 
Thanks for watching. If you liked the conversation, make sure to like the video, subscribe, and also ring the bell for notifications. And if you want to know more about Free the People, go to freethepeople.org.